Amen. Thank you, choir. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, we give thanks that you have gathered us here today as your people, no matter where we are on our journey of life, on our journey of faith. Today, may we become more the people that you have created us to be, created in the image of your Son, Christ Jesus. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be holy and acceptable in your sight. Amen. So have you ever broken a rule? I asked on Facebook this week, what is a rule that you have broken? And let me just tell you, there's a lot of rule breakers out here. Here are just a sampling of some of the rules that people had broken. I drove my Honda Accord for a lap on the track of Atlanta Motor Speedway. (laughs) Music and art break all the rules, which is true. Swimming in the lake at Camp Christian. I know some of you have broken that rule. Girls being told to sit still and look pretty. In this world today, there's no time for sitting still. Do not pet the dogs in Mexico. (laughs) That's one of my rules that I think every youth I've ever taken to Mexico has broken. And then someone got serious. They said, sell everything, give to the poor, come and follow me. He said, we've all broken Jesus' rule. Curfew. I'm sure all of us have broken curfew. But by far the most popular rule that it seems like most adults had broken was this. Never date a co-worker. Never date a co-worker. And many of those people had end up, ended up married, married to their co-worker. So if you're a rule breaker, and of course all of us are, you're in good company because Jesus himself was a rule breaker. He was one of the original first rule breakers. One of the the rules that I know that I have broken in my life is, is when I was in Bosnia with a group of young pastors a few years ago now, we visited a Serbian Orthodox church, and Donovan has a picture, and this is what the front of the Serbian Orthodox church looks like. Now, there are doors there, and behind those doors sits the communion table, and the only person ever allowed to go behind those doors is an ordained Serbian Orthodox priest. So when they do worship services on um, Sunday morning, the, the priest goes back there, blesses the bread, blesses the cup, and then brings it out front. And there are signs in the church that says at no time, at no time can anyone besides a priest go behind these doors. So imagine eight young disciples, pastors, right? The bright future of our denomination. And we're sitting there thinking, well, this is a bit odd. That's not who we are as disciples. We welcome all to the table. So do we follow the rule, or do we go back there out of curiosity? And so, of course, all eight of us went behind those doors to the communion table and stood there and pretended to preside over communion. Perhaps just our little way of protesting what seemed like a silly rule. So if you've broken a rule, you are in, in good company. 
So Jesus, Jesus is a rule breaker. When we think about religion, when we think about sort of Christianity as, as a whole, we're at our best, we're at our best when we are about freedom and when we are about liberation, not when we are about control. So many of us might have fled more controlling religious environments. You may remember growing up and being told that you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Any religion, any religion when it seeks to control people is not true to what, what God might have us do because especially in, in our own faith in Christianity, religion, our faith is about liberation and it is about freedom. That's what, that's what Jesus was all about. I was traveling this week and I was on, a, on the highway on I-75 in Tennessee and there was a billboard there that said, do you want to go to heaven? Then follow the teachings of Jesus. Now I suspect whoever paid for that billboard probably has a bit of a different theological view and worldview than many of us would and what they would des describe as the teachings of Jesus may be a little bit different than what we would identify as the teachings of Jesus, but I still think that point was a good one. When we think about heaven, when we think about bringing heaven and earth together, when we think about what we would call the realm or the kingdom of God here on earth, to do that, we must follow the teachings of Jesus. But often, those teachings of Jesus run counterintuitive to what we think we should be doing. One of my favorite stories comes from Tony Campolo. He is a uh, now retired American Baptist preacher. And, and one day, many years ago, he was in Philadelphia speaking at a youth conference. So they had a bunch of youth sitting around there, and he was talking about the homeless population in the city of Philadelphia. And he said, in, in front of this entire group, he said, I just want you to know right now there are 30,000 homeless people in the city of Philadelphia, and I find that to be and then he said a curse word. I'll leave it to your, I want to keep my job, so I'll leave it to your imagination what he said. But he said, I find that to be blank. And of course, a hush kind of goes over the crowd. It was a bunch of, of teenagers, so there's a bit of, you know, and adults would have done it too. There's a bunch of giggling that the preacher just cussed. Some people, of course, were outraged, and he said... The follow-up statement was this. He said, and, and many of you are more upset that I just said a curse word than the fact there are 30,000 homeless people right now in our city. What he was speaking to, what he was speaking to is sometimes, sometimes we get our priorities mixed up. You see, Sabbath, Sabbath observance in, in Jesus' time and in Judaism at the time was an issue. It was very important to keep the Sabbath. And, and one of the understanding, understandings of Sabbath that we often lose sight of is that Sabbath is simply time where we are reminded that we are created in the image of God. And so when we talk about physical and emotional and spiritual rest, we are talking about time to be reminded that we are made in the image of God. And so sometimes when we talk about Sabbath, it seems like a particularly lofty goal, right? 
one, one day a week or two days a week where no one bothers me and no one asks me to do anything and I don't have anything on the calendar. I mean, most of us, if you ask us to, to plan a lunch date, we have to look at least a month out on our calendars, right? So the idea of Sabbath is stressful. But Sabbath is simply time where we are reminded that we are made in the image of God. Where we are reminded that everything we see is made in the image of God. And so Jesus is posing today a very fundamental question that I think is an important question for us to consider. Does one honor God? Because taking Sabbath does honor God. But does one honor God by ignoring human need? Does one honor God by ignoring human need? You see, he's trying to get the attention of those gathered there today. He's trying to get our attention. Sometimes you have to go to desperate measures to get people's attention. There was a, a gentleman who was working a log splitter, which is sort of this hydraulic machine that splits logs. And he accidentally got his finger stuck in it, and it, it cut off his index finger. So very painful. If you've ever had a cut on your finger, you know it, it's sort of a, a scary thing, and fingers hurt, right? And so he, he's all panicked. His finger is gone, and, and he sees it laying there on the ground. And so he picks it up and he puts it in his pocket and he drives himself to the hospital. He walks in, there, there's a, a, an attendant sitting at the desk drinking a cup of coffee. He comes over and he says, I need to see a doctor. And the attendant, without looking up, kind of says to him, well, uh, you know, while still sipping his coffee, says, well, sir, you need to fill out a form, you need to go wait over there, it's going to be a couple of hours. And this guy's thinking, I've got my finger in my pocket. And so, instead of filling out the form, what he does is he pulls his index finger out of his pocket and he puts it right next to the guy's coffee cup. <laughs> and the attendant says, the doctor will see you now. So you see, sometimes you've got to go to drastic measures to get people's attention. That's what Jesus, that's what Jesus is doing today. He talks about and, and uses the example of his disciples who are hungry and they want to eat on the Sabbath. They've been traveling and so Sabbath is a day of rest for not only the fields but for the workers and so you were not supposed to prepare food to be eaten on the Sabbath. But those traveling with Jesus are hungry and so they take food. The problem is not that they take from another's food source. That was perfectly okay in Judaism. You could certainly do that. The problem is they prepared the food to be eaten on the Sabbath. But they do that because they are hungry. And then a man comes to Jesus right there in front of, of those who are controlling religion at the time and controlling God and the, and the word and the way of God at the time. And a man with a withered hand comes up. Now it's the Sabbath. Jesus is not supposed to heal this man. Nobody is supposed to heal this man. But then, then Jesus heals him. 
And not only does he heal him, he doesn't do it in private, he does it in a very public way. He does it in a very public way. You see, he's trying to get our attention. He's reframing the Sabbath about around a question that people had been wrestling with. You see, he's doing good. He's feeding hungry people. He's healing a man who is in need of healing. And he wants, those, he wants those gathered there that day to consider this. And obviously the Gospel of Luke wanted his original audience to consider it. And we need to consider it today. Can we honor God if we ignore human need? Can we honor God if we ignore human need? This week's been unusual, to say the least, and as I've been thinking about this scripture and, and, and sort of where we are as a nation in terms of refugees, in terms of immigrants, and I know that this is an issue that we in the church might feel differently about, and that's okay because it's not, I don't want to talk about it from a political standpoint, but what I do want to talk about it is from a Christian standpoint, as people of faith. As we, we look around and I think about in our church, the refugee families that we have settled in the past, the people that have come over. My own father is a first-generation immigrant. We probably have that in a lot of our families. The idea of our open table that we welcome all, and I began to think about this week, the people who have gathered and shared in this holy and sacred meal, not just people of faith, but people of people of non-Christian belief, from agnostic and atheist to, to Judaism, to Muslims, to Hindus. People of all stripes have been welcomed and have gathered around our table because we proclaim that it is not ours, but it is God's. It is God's table. And I think about how, how Jesus might be calling us to think about this and to look and to think about Jesus as one who seeks to liberate us and seeks to free us. Because I think, I think what Jesus is getting at is that no, you cannot honor God if you ignore human need. And so I think about that, and I think about our values of, of welcome, our values of, of this nation being a place of welcome, our church being a place of welcome, where people in, in, have come for many, many years to our nation, to our church, to find freedom, to find liberation. And so for me, as a person of faith, it's hard to reconcile some of the things going on with those values that I know we hold as a country and those values that we hold as people of faith and in this church. And I feel like as a pastor, if I'm going to err on one side or the other, I've got to err on the side of welcome. I've got to err on the side of the radical love and grace of God that has brought us all to this place that brings us each and every Sunday to this table. That we could all find things that would, in some respects, disqualify us from being welcomed here. But that we rejoice that God says, no, you are welcome. 
all are, all are welcome. And so we as people of faith, if we're going to embody those values as citizens of this nation, of any nation, then we need to think about those things. We need to think about the radical welcome that God has given to each and every one of us. We have to think about the deep problem of of human need. And once again, this is not from a, a political standpoint. It's not about how any of us might vote, but it's about how we might live day to day to day. It's how we might go about the tough work of living, of living. Because here's the thing, no matter what we hear in the news, no matter what decisions are made by any administration, we as people of faith encounter dozens upon dozens upon dozens of our fellow brothers and sisters every single day. We are going about the work of building the kingdom of God here on earth every single day. And so we have those values to share. We have those values to share, and we have to think about what values we might share with others. Do we share God's radical welcome and love and grace, or do we share something else? I think it's important for us to consider that, especially when Jesus seems to be saying, despite what others may say, you cannot honor God if you ignore human need. We often want the Bible to be clear about its teachings. This is pretty clear. This is pretty clear. You cannot honor God if you ignore human need. This week I read the story about a couple that lives in Charleston, West Virginia. Ashmael and Ketum Seato. And the Seatos live in an apartment very small apartment there in Charleston, West Virginia. They came here from Syria, where it was, were resettled here by a, both Christian and a Jewish community, fled the war there a couple of years ago. They're in their 60s, and if you walk in their apartment, they have on their walls pictures of grandchildren they might never see again. They have various family now scattered all over the world. It's 20 degrees, it's snowing, it's quite different than the weather that they experienced at home. You see, when they arrived, they wanted to be a part of the community. They wanted to give back. They were so grateful that that these communities had brought them to Charleston, West Virginia. They were probably the most excited West Virginia residents anyone has ever known. No offense to our friends from West Virginia. John, I'm looking at John and Lisa, but they love West Virginia. They also had knowledge in gardening. They were both sort of what we would consider master gardeners. And so they first of all started working with the First Presbyterian Church. They started working there because that Presbyterian Church had a big plot of land and they wanted to grow a garden, but didn't know how to do it. And so, um, and you can see their pictures. I don't know, Donovan might have just shown it. But they went and they said to them, hey, we, we know how to garden. We'll help you garden. And so they helped them plant a garden. And then they heard about St. John's Episcopal Church, which sits downtown and has a huge kitchen for people in need and, and, and feeds over 400 people a day. And they begin to think, what if we could grow fresh food? You know, often when you are food insecure, 
where you live in food deserts, nutrition is a big deal, right? It's hard to subsist on a bag of Doritos, as yummy as Doritos are every day. Especially you put them together with a taco at Taco Bell. It's delicious, but, <laughs> but it's hard to subsist on that. And so they said, what if we can grow a garden? So they started to grow a garden there. And soon other people heard about the Seattle's gardening, um, the gardening prowess that they have. And so they helped seven more religious communities develop gardens on unused plots of land. And so all of a sudden, these refugees from Syria are basically growing fresh food for all the needy people in the community. And I share this story this morning, and I planned to share this actually a few weeks ago, but it seems like today it takes on an even greater importance. We often hear the stories that we maybe don't want to hear, but these might be stories we need to hear. They want to stay here. The community has accepted them. They have great friends. They get invited to dinner parties. They've become a part of the fabric of this community. Here's the question is, how can a man and a woman of Muslim faith who spoke not a word of English when they first set foot here had no earned income, knew nobody? How can they feel at home in this place? And they say it's because of the friendship. The friendship keeps us here. It's home for us. And we know we may not see our siblings or our grandchildren or our children ever again, but we have our new family here. These folks have become our family. So I just ask today that as we consider who is this man, who is this man that we are attempting to follow, we've got to acknowledge that he is a rule breaker. He is, as he says in the text, the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of reminding us that we are created in the image of God. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who reminds us that everything we see has been created in the image of God. He's the Lord who reminds us that no one, no one can honor God if we ignore human need. That our fellow, our fellow human beings, the best way we can follow Jesus the best way we can honor God is to see others as God sees them, to see their need, and to meet their need. This is the Lord of the Sabbath. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, and get our attention once again. Amen.